many people here would say that they're a true born-again believer? All right, good, because this message is for you. It's for the church. So what I'm going to do today is I'm kind of going to do a, what I call a topical study of progressive sanctification. And what I mean topical is I'm not going to work line by line through a certain passage in Scripture, but I'm basically going to give you a detailed look of what progressive sanctification is based on a couple of chapters out of Romans. We're going to really be focusing in on Romans 6 and Romans 8. So the book of Romans and the themes within the book are crucial to the theological doctrine of Christianity, and the doctrine of sanctification found in the book of Romans is undoubtedly one of the most important doctrines for the life of a Christian. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you a definition of what sanctification is. We're going to look at the basis of sanctification. We're going to look at the means of obtaining sanctification. And then we're going to see the benefits we have as believers along the sanctification process. Amen? Amen. We need to adequately define it, right? So the believer grows in Christ's likeness, being renewed in God's image and becomes righteous in actual moral character That is, he or she becomes sanctified. And I just want to make a point here that we're going to be talking about progressive sanctification. There's positional sanctification where you get saved and you positionally are made holy before God. And then there's ultimate sanctification when you die or when you're raptured, you are completely conformed into the image of Christ. Today we're talking about progressive sanctification. And progressive sanctification is something that is done in your daily life. It's every single day. Every single day, right? So the definition I actually want to work off of is progressive sanctification is a progressive, lifelong work, get that, lifelong work of both man and God together that makes the justified believer one who has died to the reign of sin and is more and more free from the practice of sin, and more like Christ, an inward personal character and outward daily life. Okay? And I want you to get that. It's a work of both man and God together. Right? So I want to look at what the basis is. And the definition of the word basis is the underlying support or foundation for an idea an argument, or a process. So we want to know what the foundation is. How is sanctification possible in the life of a believer? Right? How are we allowed to walk down this road of progressive sanctification? Here's how we're going to look at this. I had a whole bunch of stuff written, but I just really want to give you the basis really quick so we can get more into the meat. Believers have died on the cross with Christ. Amen? Paul states in Romans 6.3 that believers have been baptized into Christ's death. And it's important to understand that the the death that Christ died was to sin. Romans 6.10 says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Because a believer has been baptized into the death of Christ, the believer is now dead to sin. Because one has died with Christ and to sin, the believer is now free from its power. Amen? Amen. So the basis of man's sanctification, the way that it's made possible for us to obtain sanctification, is that 
The person that we were, the old person that you were, has been crucified with Christ on the cross, and because of that, you're dead to sin. That makes it possible, right? So now I want to move into something called the means of obtaining sanctification. And what I mean by that is, how, how does this play? And what's God's role in sanctification? So we're going to look at those two roles, and then there are also tools that we've been given here and now on the earth to further us in the sanctification process. God didn't just leave us here empty-handed, amen? So, ironically, the church today sometimes has a hard time wrapping their heads around the fact that they have a part to play in their own lives. you got to do something. The Christian lingo, let go and let God, which I hear all the time, does not apply to the sanctification process. It doesn't. So there are three sections that I'm going to look at as far as a believer's role in the sanctification process. There are things that you need to know every single day. There are things that you need to consider in each moment that you're being tempted. And then there are things that we're commanded to do. We're We're not under the Old Testament law anymore, but there's still laws in the New Testament. You still have to obey. So throughout life, there are still many temptations for a Christian living in a world that lives contrary to the ways of God. Jesus stated that he was not of the world, and those that follow him would be persecuted. So not only are we going to be tempted, but we're also going to be persecuted. It's going to be fun. (laughs) With this in mind, there are pieces of information that a Christian should know so they can continue in the sanctification process and not be discouraged. First, believers should know that they've been united with Christ in his death, his burial, and also in his resurrection. Romans 6, 3, and 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You need to know on a daily basis that you have died, been buried, and been resurrected with Christ. Remind yourself of that every single morning when you get up. You need to know that. Secondly, because we have been united with Christ in these things, our old self being a slave to sin, died with him. You are no longer a slave to your sin. You need to know that every single day. Paul uses the word knowing. It's a Greek word, gnosko. It means to know. These are things that you need to know. He uses it twice in verses 6, 5 to 10 in Romans, demonstrating it's a concept that we should know. He wouldn't have mentioned it twice if he didn't want you to know it, right? It's important. Third, the believer should know that they are freed from the former slavery of sin. You're not a slave to it, and you're also completely free from it. You need to remind yourself of these things every single day. Galatians 5.1 states, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've been set free. Don't go back. You don't have to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery because Christ set you free. I remember Pastor Jordan was saying, if I got a new car, why would I go back to the old one, right? Well, don't go back. Very simple. 
Fourth, the death that believers died was final and the believer doesn't go back to that death. You don't have to keep going back. You, if you sin, right, you bring it to God, you confess, you repent, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you keep walking. You don't go back. Jesus didn't die four, five, six, seven times. He died once for your sins. Once. Paul says in chapter 6, never to die again, and he died once for all, which indicate that that death was a one-time event. Is because all of this transpired through Christ, the believer can now walk in new life. Every single day when you wake up in the morning, if you're not reminding yourself of who you are in Christ and what he did for you, you end up putting yourself in a situation where you may fail. You have to let these things seep in every morning and meditate on them. Start your day every day saying, I'm a new, I'm a new creation in Christ. New. Hook me up with water, I get really thirsty. So now that we know things that we should know, we have to look at things that we should consider. Over the course of a lifetime, there are many issues that people have to take in consideration when making a decision, right? For example, when you want to buy a house, you don't just walk into the house and go, I'll take this. You ask what the property taxes are. You ask how many bedrooms are there? What's the school system like? All of these things are things that you have to contemplate before making a decision, right? And although there are things that we should know, the consider aspect is more in the moment. Every single moment you're tempted, you should step out and think about these things. Consider what's going on, right? <clears throat> Lost my place. When making life decisions every day, Paul asks us to consider two pieces of information. In verse 611, Paul tells believers that they should consider themselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. I have another quote from the theologian. He says, Christians who have died with Christ must now regard themselves as those who are dead to sin. And as Christ's once for all death led on to resurrection and new life in God's service, so Christians who participate in that resurrection life must regard themselves as those alive to God. When you're being tempted, when you are in a position where you could either choose to sin or choose God, you need to step out for a second and go, all right, I'm dead to this, but I'm alive in God. And the Holy Spirit always provides a way out. Those are things that you have to take into consideration every single time that you're tempted with your sin. And I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit gives you enough to get out of any temptation. And when you decide to sin, that's on you. You've chosen to do that. And these are things that you need to keep fresh in your mind. The believer needs to regard themselves as dead to sin and alive to God. The word consider is a word that means deliberate or contemplate. A believer should think about these things when faced with a situation in life to either choose sin or choose God. It may seem like an easy thing to do at times, but it can be difficult, right? We get wrapped up in the world around us and you know, people aren't Christians. You know, out in the world, they, they're living the way the world is, and it's very easy to get picked off. It's 1 Peter 5.8 says to Christians, be on guard because the devil is seeking out those whom he can devour. He's not out there trying to devour unbelievers. They're already lost. He's out there trying to get you. 
Because if he knocks you off your game, then someone who might hear about Jesus Christ through you won't. He, he wants to completely knock you off your game, and you do need to stay honed in. You need to practice. No one, no one goes to a game and doesn't practice, right? I don't know if you guys like basketball at Allen Iverson. Practice, man? We talking about practice? Practice. So those are things you need to know and things you need to consider in each moment. But now there are things that Paul commands us to do. It's called an imperative in the Greek. It's a command, right? It's the practical application of what you're supposed to do, your role in sanctification. They're called the do's and the don'ts of chapter 6. Or at least that was what I was told. Each command is, has a do and a don't, right? And it also has a what and a how. So Paul gives us what the command is, but then he also tells us how to do it, right? We're going to look at the don't commands first because that's where Paul starts in six, chapter 6, verse 12 in Romans. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies by obeying its lust. That's what not to do. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies by obeying its lust. Essentially, this command from Paul is on what not to do, right? He goes on to say to Christians, you should not go on presenting your members uh, of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So that's how you don't let sin go on reigning in your mortal bodies by obeying its lust. You don't present the instruments of your body as, as tools of unrighteousness, the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Your ears, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your heart, your mind. You have to keep that on Christ. When you let that stuff start to go astray and you let that stuff start to wander, you're going to start to sin. And then you're going to start going back to those old habits and, and those old desires which God does not intend for you at all. So we have the don't, right? And the do command is basically just the opposite of the don't. Following verse 12, the do commands start as this. Paul tells believers to present themselves as those who are alive to God. So if you're not using the, or if you're not letting sin reign in your mortal body, you're presenting yourself as alive to God, right? That we're not using for unrighteousness, we're using for God, right? You're, everything that you have, everything that God has given you in your body, you're using. You're using your mouth to preach the word, right? To tell people about who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you. Right? You're using your hands to, to serve, to help people. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Right? He was a servant. So we use our hands to serve so that we can show the love of Christ to those on a daily basis. These are things that we're not, again, it's not a suggestion. Get me? This is, this, this is not a suggestion. You don't have a choice here. This is something you're commanded to do. And what does Jesus say about those who love him? They obey his commandments. These are things that we're commanded to do. Important. So that's your role in the process of sanctification as a believer. Know things, consider, and do. Right? That's your role. But thank God that it doesn't just all fall on you. The sanctification process largely falls on the back of the Holy Spirit. 
And we're going to take a look at what the Holy Spirit does. And I have 12 things that the Holy Spirit does. I don't have the time to go into each one in depth. But we're going to touch on each one. And the first action that we see the Holy Spirit being involved in in the sanctification process is he unites believers with Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection. It, it, it doesn't just happen. There needs to be an agent that unites man with Christ in that death, burial, and resurrection. And that agent is the Holy Spirit. And he does that every single day. He's keeping you united with Christ for that newness of life. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and is a seal of God's ownership over your life. Romans 8.11 tells us that the Holy Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies that dwells inside of us. You have the Holy Spirit every single day. Every single day. Third, the Holy Spirit is a promise of our bodies being redeemed. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now let me tell you something. When we think about heaven and we think about eternity, we think of a lot of people have this idea of us floating around in some spirit world and there's a new heaven and a new earth. The hope that you have as a Christian is that the mortal body that you have here and now will be resurrected as your Savior's was by the same Spirit that rose Him from the dead. And the body that you have now that still has some bents to sin will com be, be completely sanctified. And now what God actually intended for you, you can live out. And we'll be able to do that in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm excited for that. You guys excited for that? Can't wait to get out of here sometimes. You know what I mean? Fourth, the Spirit enlightens our minds with the truths of Scripture. A lot of people read the Bible who don't have the Holy Spirit, and they don't know what they're reading. The Holy Spirit guides you and teaches you when you're reading the Word of God. And you can take that, and it actually edifies you, it builds you up, and it changes you. Fifth, the Spirit helps believers put to death the deeds of the body. You have to be on guard, but you couldn't do it if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. He helps you put it to death. So this guy, Robert Mounts, he wrote a, a commentary. I have a set of commentaries, and he wrote my Romans commentary, and he, he wrote something I really liked. He said, but if by the power of the Spirit we keep on putting to death the evil practices of the body, we will live. When you become a Christian, your sin nature doesn't just disappear. To death, the evil practices of the body is ongoing. The way to crucify the old self is to obey the prompting of the Spirit. When we walk in fellowship with the indwelling Spirit, the desires of the lower nature, that being the sin nature, are not met. For all practical purposes, they are put to death. It is only when we break fellowship with the Spirit that our sinful nature is able to successfully reassert, get this, its fraudulent claim on your life. When you break Communion with the Spirit, sin goes, yeah, you're mine again, but it's just a lie. It's a fraudulent claim. You've already been justified. You've already been saved. It's a fraudulent claim. Do not let that happen. 
The Holy Spirit is the only agent in which man can put to death the sinful nature and its ways. It's a, this is by far the biggest role of the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process. If you want to become more like Christ, you need the Holy Spirit to help you put down that sin nature. Next, the Holy Spirit wars against the flesh, providing an alternate way to live and a way out. Seven, the Holy Spirit leads us, I have here as sons of God, because that's what it says, but we have ladies here too, so it's children of God. Romans 8.14 states, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God of God. If you feel yourself being led by the Spirit, guess what? You're a child of God. Amen? When we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, the believer has life and peace. How many people have had no peace in their life before they got saved? If you, looked, if you looked at my life five, six years ago, I had more money. I had more rep out there, right? I had no peace. No peace. I, I'll be honest with you, I every single day wake up and I, I don't worry. I, 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 just, I just don't. Because I know who's in control. And I, and I know what's going on. There's no reason to worry about what's going on in here. God's got your back. Romans 14, peace and joy in, in the Holy Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's contrasted with eating and drinking, which are the ways of the kingdoms of the world. We're different. We're set apart. We're holy. Right? The Spirit also testifies with the believer's spirit that they're children of God. Amen. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Your spirit testifies with the Holy Spirit himself that you are a child of God. Every single day you can walk knowing that you are a child of God. And this might be my favorite one right here. The Spirit helps our weaknesses by praying the mind of God for us. The Spirit, get this, both dwells in man and is God. Therefore, the Spirit both knows what our weaknesses and prayers are and the will of the Father. He's in you and He's God. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, I love this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. How many times in your life do you come before the throne and you don't even know what to say? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit does. Even when you don't know what words to come out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit is already at the throne interceding before the Father for what you need. I love that. I say one of the, the hardest things in, you know, my, in my walk as a Christian is 
Satan does not want me to pray at times. And it is a struggle at times for me to get down. And I, sometimes I just don't even know what to say. And when I, when I read that, I was, I was, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lastly, the Holy Spirit holds believers securely until the final redemption of our body. The Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. And he holds the believer securely until you're either raptured or you go and be with Christ after you take your final breath. All of that is what the Holy Spirit does on a daily basis in your life. Even if we kept our part in everything we were supposed to do, if we reminded ourselves every day of who we were, if we considered who we were alive to Christ and dead to sin every single day, it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. He empowers you every single day, and you need to cooperate with Him, be in communion with Him every single day, and you will start to see yourself look more and more and more like Christ. There are two other tools that we've been given here on the earth to help in the sanctification process. And the first one, I'm sure a lot of you have it in your hands. It's the Bible, the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. If that's the Word of God, and we're going to be sanctified by His truth, and His Word is truth, read your Bible. It's not Christian lingo. It's, you have to do this. It's not, it, it, it's not about that. If you love Christ and you understand who you are as a sinner, read that thing so that you start to look more like it. Right? 2 Timothy 3.16. We know that one, right? The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy at the church of Ephesus, explains that the Word of God is profitable for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's sanctification. That's what that is. Read your Bible. Part of the way, part of the, how do I want to say this? Part of how you're going to be on guard when the devil comes to attack you is because you've told you you are, right? You know who God is because I'm going to tell you what right now, everything I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't know if I didn't read the Bible. Right? How would I know how to live a life sanctified if I didn't read the Bible? Read. I like to read. The second one that we have, the second tool that we have as Christians is not what's in your hand, but it's everybody around you. It's the church. How many people here deal with unbelievers every single day? Yeah? This here is your family. And it's here to encourage you, to help you grow. The author of Hebrews told us not to forsake our assembling together. Because we stimulate one another, we encourage one another. I can't push this point across enough. And I, I tell you what, I go, I go to Baptist church down in, uh, in uh, Virginia. That's right, that's where I go to school. <laughs> Or if you walk into a Baptist church, a Pentecostal church, a Presbyterian church, doesn't matter. That's your family. And they love you. 
And here, this is your immediate family. This is your home church. And then out there, we have our extended family. You know, you ever been on vacation somewhere, got up and just walked into a church on a Sunday morning, and people are just greeting you, hi, how you doing? Right? Get old Southern on you. That's the beauty of it, though. The world, they don't even trust their best friend. You have a whole family. And those are the two tools that we have here. The beauty of this, though, is we also have benefits, right? You got your job, and now you get your benefits, right? You got a heart problem, you're covered. Thank God, right? <laughs> so here we're going to look at four benefits that a believer has along the sanctification process. The first benefit that we see is a growing freedom from the power of sin. It's growing, right? And I want you to understand something. If you got saved yesterday, you're not going to look like the person who's been saved 30 years ago. It's a process. And you're molded more and more and more into his image. And, and I say this. My dad's been a Christian. How many years, Dad, have you been a Christian? 30 years. I'm not as sanctified as my father. It's just not. I've been a Christian for four years, and there's still things I'm fighting off. You know what I mean? But I'm not the same person I was four years ago. And I won't be the same person I am from now five years from now. You experience a growing power from sin in both its desires and, you know, actually acting on it. Secondly, I like this. We see trials in our life as having a purpose and being growth-related. For someone who is an unbeliever, the trials and tests they face are futile. They don't understand. They just don't get it. Why did this happen to me? And then guess what they do? I love this. I don't believe in God, but I'm going to get mad at him. That's great. But that, is that not what happens? They, they, you know, people, I talk to people all the time, I don't believe in God, I'm, but, you know, he, he wouldn't have done that. What do you mean? What do you know? You don't believe in him. You get mad at him. Fortunately for believers, there's a hope in the tests and the trials that come our way. Right? Romans 5, 2-5 says, We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the word exalt, it's not exalt, it's exalt. It's E-X-U-L-T. It means boast. You can laugh in your trials. You can boast and say, look what God's doing in my life even when it looks to the world like you're getting pounded. You can boast in your trials because they're being growth related. Who else can do that? What other... What other what other religion in the world? Who can say that? Who can boast in their trials and their tribulations saying, my Savior is molding me more into his image. And that everything that he does is for your good. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Benefit number three. You're increasingly being conformed into the image of Christ. 
Romans 6, 28 and 29. The good that Paul is referring to when he says all things are being worked out for your good is the image of Christ. It's not a material thing. It's not something, you know, God's working this out so I might get this job or I might do that. No, 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 no. He doesn't care about that. All he cares about is the fact that you are molded into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. He wants to mold you into the image of son. And I, I got something from this when I was going through this. And, I, you know, when I wrote, the, I actually forgot what I wrote. You know what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit just kind of hit me with something and I loved it. The word is not imitate. You're not walking around on a daily basis and just imitating Christ. You're physically being conformed into his image. Is that not unbelievable? That every single day you walk on the sanctification process, you actually start to look more and more and more and more like the most perfect being ever. And I don't deserve that. The fourth, believe, the fourth benefit that believers have is the life and peace that we now live. Right? Romans 8, 6 states, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. There's no longer a mind set on the flesh which produces death, but a mind set on the spirit which gives life and peace to the believer. Thomas Schreiner said, these terms being referred to, that being death and life, are in the fullest eschatological Being of the flesh or of the spirit is not trivial, but it has awesome consequences. The life that we live now is eternal. And the death that unbelievers have is eternal. You have been given peace in your heart here to work through all the tests and the trials in life that are going to be thrown at you. You're tempted. But you have peace here and now. And as soon as you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. You don't live life here, then die, and then experience eternal life. You have eternal life now. Now. Live it. Amen. That's a command. <laughs> so the last thing I want to tell you is that this is not an instantaneous process. I'm sure you've picked that up by now. If not, I'm questioning your listening comprehension. This process is going to take your whole life. Justification happens the second you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are credited with his righteousness and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that can't be taken away from you. But your sanctification is like work. Except you don't get to retire from this. You got to keep pressing on and fight. You're a warrior. Fight. So here I just want to kind of reiterate what we went through, right? We said that sanctification is a lifelong process of you being conformed into the image of Christ both inwardly and outwardly, right? The basis of that is your death with Christ to sin. The means of obtaining that every single day on your part 
is to know that you've been, that you've died, been buried, and resurrected with Christ. You're now dead to sin and free from its power. In every single moment, you need to consider that you're dead to sin and alive to God, and you need to obey those commands. Do not use what God has given you as instruments of unrighteousness. Use them to glorify God. We also learned that the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in your life, not just every day, not just every hour, but every second. He cares about you so deeply. And because of that, we now have benefits. We're more and more free from the power of sin. We see purpose in our trials and our tests. We have hope. We're being conformed into the image of our Savior, and we can live a life of peace, knowing that we have eternal life. This is the process of progressive sanctification in your life. It is about one thing, freedom. You, as the body of Christ, as a born-again believer, as a justified believer, are free. A couple months, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated our independence from England. Your independence is from sin. That's your real independence. We are citizens of the United States, but we are ultimately citizens of his kingdom. And I have a, a song, John, uh, could you play that song now for us? Thank you. this point of the sermon, we'd like to take a brief intermission.
Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope of no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains And my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace, so free Washes over me You have made me new Now life begins with you It's your From my chains, I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore He cancelled my debt and he called me his friend When death was arrested and my life began Your grace so free washes Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost But then he